in a message entitled, Continue On. Even with the advanced foods that are available today, communication ability through technology, and insulated clothing that is available, an expedition on foot across Antarctica is one of the most grueling tests that a human being can endure. A hundred years ago, it was much worse. There was an Australian explorer named Douglas Mawson, M-A-W-S-O-N. And his polar exploration went down as one of the worst ever attempted. He first went to Antarctic as a member of Shackleton's Nimrod expedition from 1907 to 1909. In 1911, he set sail across the Southern Ocean on his own expedition. Explorers had focused on being the first to reach the South Geographic Pole, but he was inspired to lead a research expedition. So he set out at the age of 30 years old, highly educated, physically tough, and known already as one of the best geologists of his generation. He was born in England and he settled in Australia and he led the expedition with the purpose of exploring and mapping some of the most remote parts of the continent. Over the next few months, he would encounter wind speeds averaging 50 miles an hour or more, but with gusts well over 100 miles per hour with constant blizzards. The plan was to set a base camp with one team and then have other teams head into the interior for scientific work. Mawson led what was called the Far Eastern Shore Party, which was a three-man team assigned to survey glaciers. They would have to cross an area that was pitted with deep crevices and concealed by snow. So they took three sleds pulled by 16 huskies loaded down with food, survival gear, and instruments. At first, they made good time. Everything seemed to be going according to plan, but then trouble set in. On the traverse, one of the team members plummeted down a crevice and was lost with most of the supplies. Another team member perished from physical exhaustion and yet another one from starvation. Alone, Mawson was determined to return with the data and the specimens that they had collected. His survival is a testimony to his courage, strength, and psychological resilience. He was a man who struggled alone for 30 days, eventually reaching the base, but even so, he narrowly missed the ship that had been sent to retrieve them. The expedition and his endurance in it led to advanced scientific knowledge of Antarctica in the fields of geology, cartography, meteorology, biology, and marine science. In fact, 22 volumes were put together from the three bases that they had established. He was publicly acclaimed for his achievements, and he actually received a knighthood from the government. His account of the expedition was published in a work in 1915 entitled Home of the Blizzard. He continued on. He dealt with the difficulties. He overcame challenges, most of which had been unforeseen, and he experienced great loss. But he finished what he set out to do. And what I want to do is I want to draw a spiritual parallel 
to a physical expedition. I want us to think about the Christian life in terms of the walk that we are on and the journey that we have undertaken as we make our way toward that heavenly city. We experience many dangers, toils, and snares along the way. But we continue on toward the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so I began reading in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. This is what the word of God says. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy... You have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The directive in the passage before us is to continue on in the sacred scriptures, translated also as the holy scriptures or the sacred writings. Paul has explained in context the certainty of suffering that we will encounter in this evil world that we live in. Evil men and imposters in these verses refers to the false teachers who are enemies of God and his people. These are people who are evil but pretend that they are not. The situation is going to go from bad to worse, and then when it gets worse, it's going to progress. This is a worsening situation with people who are opponents of God, broken by their sin and leading other people in it. There are approved workers and there are unapproved workers. There are dangerous times and there are dangerous people. There are hardships and there are persecutions. But through it all, we are to continue on. And the command is straightforward. Paul tells Timothy, to continue, it's the same word that means to abide. It's the same verb that's used when John wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 24, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. So it's to abide, to remain, or to continue. The focus in verse 15 and then in the verses that follow that we'll consider next week is on the Holy Scriptures. The primary focus is on the written word of God from the Old Testament for Timothy and then both the Old and the New Testaments for us. Here's what our statement of faith says regarding the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired in his God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So we can think about it this way. The holy scriptures are inspired. They are breathed out by God himself. 
The Holy Scriptures are infallible, meaning that they are never wrong and are completely trustworthy. The Holy Scriptures are inerrant. They contain no affirmations of anything that is contrary to either truth or contrary to the character of God. And the Holy Scriptures are sufficient, meaning that they provide for us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So in the time that we have together today, I want us to consider three responses to the Holy Scriptures. And the first is this. The Holy Scriptures are to be learned. Look again in verse 14. You'll notice the phrase there, continue in what you have learned. What Timothy learned was rooted in the Scripture. The false teachers were constantly trying to advance something new. And Paul is saying to him, listen, you have the truth. You don't need to be advanced in something new. You need to continue in what you have already learned. And it's the message for us today as well because we are living in the midst of a time when we are bombarded by challenges to the truth. We are told daily that we need to move on to something that's more modern, move on to something that's new, move on to something that is more acceptable to the culture. And the message that Paul gave to Timothy is the same message that we receive from the Holy Spirit. We are to continue in what we have learned. We are to stay anchored in something that is old rather than looking for something that is new. After all, teaching the revelation of God is of great importance. I think about the pattern that unfolds in the scripture from very early on. Moses taught the people of Israel the statutes and the judgments just as the Lord his God had commanded him. The fathers in the households were commanded to diligently teach the same statutes to their children. Ezra the scribe was honored because he had set his heart on studying the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Nehemiah 8 and verse 8 puts it this way. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. They gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. They presented it clearly. They explained what the sense of scripture was. And as a result, the people understood it. They were drawn into the truth. Levi was an example in the Old Testament as well, who was set forth as an example to all the priests because of his faithfulness to teaching the law of the Lord. I think about what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 in verse 33 to 35. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. And then we look to Jesus. Jesus, the master teacher, the ultimate teacher, the one who taught the truth consistently. And the Bible says that when Jesus taught the truth, that the common people heard Jesus gladly. What a compliment that the common people, people like us, would hear the word of God gladly. And in the gospels, Jesus taught his disciples to be able to teach the truths of the gospel from the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. In his post-resurrection appearance to Peter, 
Jesus said three times, feed my sheep. What was he referring to? He was referring to spiritual food that is brought forth from the scripture. In the Great Commission, Jesus gave us the imperative to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to follow all that he has commanded us. So one definition of a disciple is that a disciple is someone who follows the teachings of another who is a follower or who is a learner. So I would think about it this way. A disciple in a Christian sense is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Someone who follows Jesus is being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. He commanded us to make disciples. And necessary in our making of disciples is teaching. You remember when Peter preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost and the New Testament church was born in Acts chapter 2? You go back and read about it, verse 14 to 47. There are several ways that Peter taught as he preached that sermon. He communicated the facts and the evidence for the people to consider. So what was he doing? He was speaking to their minds. He also called for heart-level consideration from the learners, from the hearers. He was speaking to their emotion. He called for commitment for the people to repent and to be baptized. He was speaking to their behavior. He was asking for a response. And the result of what he taught the people and what they learned is seen in the last part of the sermon. Their lives were changed. And this is the same pattern that we use in the church today. We speak to people's minds because we want them to understand truth objectively. We speak to their hearts because we want them to understand down deep what it is that God is teaching. We speak to their will because we want them to follow and obey what Jesus has told us to in his word. And the result of that is changed lives. Now, here's where part of the disconnect sometimes comes in. Sometimes it's like we teach the information the best, but we don't always get to the other parts. People's heads are filled, but unless it goes deep into their hearts and their lives, there's not going to be transformational change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul taught Timothy about the gospel, the ministry opportunity that he gave him, the example that he set, and the mentoring and the guidance that he received was all according to God's word. We learned back in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 that we are to be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, correctly teaching the word of truth. So Timothy was taught the truth. He had it modeled for him by his spiritual mentor and he was to continue in it through careful study and teaching of others. The Holy Scriptures are to be learned. Then there's a second response. The Holy Scriptures are to be believed. Verse 14 says, continue in what you have firmly believed. You know those who taught you. Verse 15. 
And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures. We might translate it this way. As for you, Timothy, you must continue to hold on faithfully to the things that people taught you and that you believe in. After all, you know who taught you these truths. Timothy was taught the gospel in the Holy Scriptures along with the reality and the truthfulness of them. He was taught by his beloved grandmother, also his mother. Uh, Evidently, Timothy's father was a Gentile. His Hebrew mother and his grandmother educated him in the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul's already told us back in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy had been taught from a, from a family perspective from, from a very early age, and then he was taught by the apostle Paul. What did Paul teach him? The gospel that he received when, when he encountered the Lord Jesus on the road Uh, to Damascus. Paul taught Timothy the same truths that he learned when he was in an extended period of time being discipled and being prepared for his public ministry for Jesus. But there's a pattern that we can draw from here that I think is very important. Timothy heard the truth from his own family members. And if we are followers of Jesus and we take seriously our responsibility to lead our children to faith and to disciple them, we should be able to say to them, continue in what you have learned, in what you became convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it. We should be able to say to them, I want you to keep on in the things that I've taught you. I want you to continue on in the things that have been modeled for you. I want you to live out this faith that you've been given a foundation for in our home as we have tried to lead you to love Jesus. And that should be a strong testimony for all of our Christian families. And that's one of the things that we want to be very intentional about as a church as we think about our disciple-making process and how we can help you be the spiritual influence that God has called you to be We're not here to take that responsibility from you. We are here to come alongside you and help you as you lead your children and your grandchildren in the faith. Timothy also heard the truth from the spiritual mentor, Paul. And we should be able to say to those who have come behind us in the church, you know your pastors, you know your Bible fellowship teachers, you know your vacation Bible school teachers, you know your Awana leaders, You know the people who have invested in you and have taught you continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. Now, there is an incredibly important phrase that I don't want to just skip over here, and that phrase is from infancy. What are we to make of this phrase from infancy or since infancy? I think this would be the equivalent of us saying, he or she was raised in the church from the time they were a baby. Think about the importance, the responsibility we have in that 
as families and as a spiritual family. You're not just filling a volunteer spot when you step forward and say yes to serving in the Bible Fellowship ministry, Sprouts ministry for children. You're not babysitting when you commit your time to the Iwana ministry. You're not just keeping the kids occupied when you invest yourself in their lives and in the lives of their families. You are teaching them from infancy. You are laying the spiritual foundation. And it's never too early to start. You can begin praying for your child even before they're born. You can make scripture a centerpiece in your home where it's heard, it's read, it's familiar, it's taken to heart. You can give of yourself to serve and to make a difference in the lives of young people. And I wonder for all of us, whether we're in a pastoral role or a teaching role or a parenting role, whatever it is that we're doing and how we're investing ourselves, will we be able to look behind us and say, We couldn't control the outcome because ultimately people make their own decisions. But what we could do was be faithful. And we have sought to do our very best to be faithful, to teach them the truth of God so that they can believe in it for themselves. Timothy not only learned the scriptures, the idea is that he was personally convinced. He firmly believed. So Paul is saying to him, continue in what you have been convinced of and what you firmly believed in and just keep on. I wonder if that message might resonate with you today. Maybe you're a graduate here and you were raised in this church, came to faith somewhere along the way. Are you continuing in the things that you have learned and been taught and have believed in? Is your life demonstrating that these things matter to you and that your spiritual focus is central in what you're doing? The Bible provides a clear definition of faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and is the conviction of things not seen. The word assurance refers to a feeling of certainty or confidence. The word conviction relates to a strong belief that something is true, even if things around you are uncertain. So what faith does is faith leads you to the assurance, the conviction of what you believe and why you've trusted in God. And you are willing to do what God says, even if you can't see the immediate outcome. I think about the life of Noah in the Old Testament. Noah was a man who acted on conviction. The Bible says that God was deeply troubled by the pervasive sin and the violence that was in the world. So what did he tell Noah to do? He told him that he was going to put an end to all people and destroy them and the earth, and Noah was to build an ark. This righteous and just man was to build an ark, ultimately to save himself and his family and the creatures that would come aboard. And what did Noah do? He obeyed God. He did what God said to do because he believed him. And what God said came to pass exactly as he said. And here's what Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says about his testimony. 
by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and listen to this, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Martin Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It is so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. The Holy Scriptures are to be believed. And then third, the Holy Scriptures are to be applied. Verse 15 says, the sacred Scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the primary point of the Holy Scriptures is to lead people to a saving knowledge of God through faith in Christ Jesus so that they can know him and live for him. In other words, God has made himself known to us so that we can know him, we can be reconciled through the provision of his son in his death, burial, and resurrection. We can be justified by faith. And when we are reconciled to him, then we can live for him and we can apply truth to our lives. Yes, the scripture presents the majesty of God. It presents the power of God. It presents all of his creation. It, it gives us a glimpse into the glory of God and the character of God. And all these things are on display in the scripture. God displays these things to us so that we can know him. There's a post-resurrection account of the encounter of Jesus with the two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus. They were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus draws along beside them and he begins to walk with them. But at first they didn't recognize him. He asked them what their dispute was, so they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. And then the one named Cleopas asked Jesus if he was the only visitor in Jerusalem who didn't know the things that had happened there. He's like, man, did you not know? Where have you been? Was essentially what he was saying. And Jesus said, what things? And the disciples said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a powerful prophet in action and speech, before God and all the people. And then he told him what had happened. The chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and he was crucified. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. And then they told of the women who had reported that the tomb was empty. I tell you that story because what follows is of central importance to this idea. Jesus said to them, Luke 24, verse 25 to 27, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus tells us in that encounter that he had with the disciples on the road to Emmaus post-resurrection that the entire record of scripture is about none other than him. That's who it was about. That's the record of it. it it's an exaltation of Jesus. It's showing us the way to the Father. So the Holy Scriptures give us wisdom for salvation. The knowledge of the Lord that we gain through salvation brings us wisdom for living.
And the Holy Scriptures help us see things from God's perspective so that we're not wise in our own eyes or foolish in uh, God's eyes. The Holy Scriptures show us how to navigate the days that we live in. And I want you to listen to me very carefully, graduates. You're going to have regrets in your life. Anybody that lives very long does. There are decisions that we make that we'd like to take back. There are turns that we take that we wish we wouldn't have. But I want to tell you this, and this is a promise. You will never regret walking in the wisdom of God. You will never look back on your life and say, oh, I regret that I followed after the things of God. I regret that I applied the Bible to my life. I regret that I walked in the wisdom of salvation in Jesus Christ. That will never happen. Of all the regrets of life, that will never happen. And you today stand at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads. Are you going to live for the Lord? Are you going to live for self? Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And if you're going to apply the Holy Scriptures, you have to read them, study them, meditate on it, and allow the truth to take root in your life. Paul writes this in Philippians 4 and verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Let me paraphrase that for you. If you do what God says to do, there's a promise that God will be with you. How is that? Well, when we're declared righteous in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and indwells our hearts and our lives. He is in us. He has taken up residence in us. The Holy Spirit baptizes us spiritually into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He seals us for the day of redemption. Our salvation is certain because of the finished work of Jesus and the guarantee of the Spirit. And what the promise here is, is that when we are doing what God says to do, and we keep our eyes fixed on the Son of God, and we live according to the Word of God, we'll be empowered by the Spirit of God. It's a promise. If you'll walk in it, he'll honor your life if you'll honor him and walk with him by faith. The holy scriptures are to be applied. So I say to you as I come toward a conclusion of the message, continue on in the holy scriptures. You say, well, how can I do that? You've got to study to show yourself approved and read them. You need to understand them, and you need to live by them. I would like to say that statistics are improving as it relates to a departure among young adults in the relationship to the church, but that's not the case. It is spiritually treacherous in the world. Church attendance is only one marker, but it is a marker. And I want you to listen to this. In a recent study, it showed that of those attending church at the age of 17, only 58% are still attending church at the age of 18. That number drops to 40% by the age of 19. And when they get into their 20s, 
less than a third say that they're attending church regularly. How can you not be a statistic? Well, this is what I want to recommend to you. If you don't want to be a statistic and you want to set the course for the rest of your life. Practice daily devotion in the word of God and in prayer. Nobody can do it for you. You're never going to graduate beyond it. You're not going to outgrow it in your spiritual maturity where you don't need time in the word and in prayer. You've got to walk with the Lord. Intentionally connect in the life of a church. For those of you, especially as our graduates today who are remaining in this area, we don't want to see you fall by the wayside. We want to invest in your life, and we want you to be intentionally connected here. It matters in your life, it matters to us, and it certainly matters to God. If you're going somewhere else and the Lord's taking you in a different direction, in a new season of life, one of the best things you could do for yourself is find a healthy local church and get connected to it as quickly as possible. You also need to have some meaningful spiritual relationships. We need encouragement. We cannot do this on our own. That's why the church is so important, to have those spiritual relationships with other people who are seeking to follow Jesus, who also are imperfect, just like we're imperfect, but they're by grace wanting to walk with the Lord. And if you align yourself with those kind of people, it's going to help you, encourage you in your faith. And then I want to say this, and I want, I want to be very clear on this, because I think we miss this sometimes in the church. Pursue a sense of calling in your life and your work, and live on mission. And let me speak just a little bit more about that before I close. Sometimes we think about people being in the ministry or being on mission for the Lord only when they're in some type of professional setting or some type of formal role in those arenas. However God has gifted you and whatever opportunities God has placed you in, in whatever vocation you spend your life in, in the years to come, and this is true for those of us that are established as well. Whatever we are in, we should be asking the Lord what our purpose is in that and are we living with a sense of mission through it. You're, you're not there by accident if you're a teacher. You're not there by accident if you're in a trade. You're not there by accident if you're in medicine or some other field that you're going into. God will use you. Don't, don't separate the sacred and the secular. There is no ultimate separation for us. It's all sacred when we're doing it for the Lord. And if you think about it that way, that what you're doing, you're doing it as unto the Lord to be a blessing to other people, to love God and to love your neighbor, that will motivate you as well in your calling in life. And you can be on mission, whatever the application of that is. And I say this as I conclude and pray. You cannot earn your salvation by continuing on. But if you continue on in the faith, it is evidence that you are saved. Let's give evidence that we belong to the Lord. And we want to honor him with every area of our lives. Personal, spiritual, family, church, vocation and in the world. That's his call on us. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we pray.
Perhaps God has spoken to you today through something in this message. And he's calling you to a fresh commitment, a new step of faith. Or maybe it's just a renewal. You're like, Lord, I'm, an, I'm at a crossroads here in my life, and I, I want to honor you. Maybe your prayer would just be, Lord, I, I offer my life up to you. You're going to mark out my steps. You're going to show me the way. But I want to walk in it faithfully. And I want to keep my eyes on Jesus as I do that. I don't want to regret that I've not walked with you by faith. Maybe you're here today and you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you need to repent and believe. God's calling you to a relationship with himself. You can take that step today and your life can be forever changed. Father, we're so grateful that we have this privilege to know you, that you have revealed yourself to us through creation, through your word, and preeminently through your Son. We are solely dependent on the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of everlasting life. God, help us to live life on purpose. Help us to live life on mission. Not to just go along to get along, but to see the every day as an opportunity that you've placed in front of us to make a difference in somebody's life. And it may be something small. Maybe tomorrow when we go about our daily routine, we're going to encounter somebody that, that needs a prayer or needs a word of encouragement or just needs a, a spirit of kindness to them. I pray that that would be our desire and that we would make a difference for Jesus in every area of life and be a good witness for him. God, we give this time of close and response over to you. Work in it as you see fit. And Lord, we'll give you the credit for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.